Michael Smith is the executive director of Cradles to Crayons Philadelphia. The mission of Cradles to Crayons is to provide children from birth through the age of 12 with the everyday essentials they need to thrive at home, at school, and at play. The overarching vision of Cradles to Crayons is a future free of childhood poverty. On this episode of Be the Good Podcast, Michael shares with us how her organization's Kids Come First Values and Culture have enabled C2C to energize a diverse and inclusive community of more than 75,000 volunteers while supporting more than 1 million children in need. Let's take a listen. So I have with me here today, Michael from Cradles to Crayons here in Philadelphia. How are you today, Michael? Great, thank you. And great to be talking to you. Wonderful to have you, and thank you for taking the time. So let's jump right into it and learn more about what Cradles to Crayons does here in the Philadelphia area. So the mission of Cradles to Crayons is to provide children from birth through the age of 12 with the everyday essentials they need to thrive at home, at school, and at play. Can you tell us how this organization first came to be? Cradles to Crayons was founded in 2002 in Boston when a woman called Lynn Margario realized that with, uh, I think she has five or six siblings um, who were starting to have families, that when she went to their homes, much of the clothing that the kids were being donated or you know given by um, family were not being used. Um, they either grew out of them before they uh, could even use them or they grew out of them and only used them for a very short period. So Lynn realized that there was this enormous reservoir of gently used clothing in the kids' space. And she was a specialist in supply chain and realized that if you could get that gently used clothing to kids living in poverty, um, that would be a great sort of loop, supply chain loop, to start. So she founded Cradles to Crayons in Boston in 2002 and came to Philadelphia in 2007. And now we have sites not only in Philadelphia and Boston, but Chicago and New York as well. That's wonderful. It's so amazing that she was able to connect the dots there and fulfill that need because also being a mother myself of three young children, as you say that, I'm thinking, yes, they go through clothes so quickly and outgrow things. And many of their outfits sometimes never even get worn. So it's just amazing that she was able to jump in there and, and find that solution. So the overarching vision of Cradles to Crayons is a future free of childhood poverty. Can you tell us more about the issue of childhood poverty here in Philadelphia specifically, and in what ways your organization is working to address these issues locally? I think what people don't realize that Philadelphia has the highest rate of deep poverty of any large city in the nation. And what that means, it's a family of four living on about $12,000 a year. And all of us know how far $12,000 doesn't go if you have kids. And so in Philadelphia, with deep poverty, which affects probably about 300,000 children in the greater Philadelphia region and a little bit of southern New Jersey. There are so many children who are facing the fact that they get up in the morning and they don't have a choice of clothing like many of the families you and I know. 
they've probably got one T-shirt to put on. If uh, And maybe that T-shirt isn't clean. It's been used already. Um, they don't have a choice of clothing. They have clothing that perhaps doesn't fit. Um, and we know how psychologically that affects children. If you don't have clothing that fits, um, if it's stained or worn, uh, we know how cruel other children can be. So we just want to make sure that with that large number of children living in poverty, that our model can provide the basics with this recycled product, high quality product from families. Um, we get it to the right children in the in the region. That's wonderful. And part of your organization's philosophy is that a backpack is more than a school bag. It's an incubator for the future, filled with possibility and support for the child who wears it. Can you tell us how you have seen small things like school supplies and clean clothing, like you were just mentioning, make a difference in the lives of the children that you serve? Yes, there's a great point about the, the backpacks. We think of them as launching pads for kids. Um, we pack about 50,000 backpacks in August at the start of the school season. And this year, our goal is to try and do 60,000. Um, and that means that a child starts the school year with a, a great sturdy backpack filled with the school supplies that the school district recommends. And not only do we supply it full then, we also keep it filled year round. Um, and once a child is connected with us, we don't serve children directly. We work through a network of about 300 partners in the greater Philadelphia region. And those partners work directly with children. They may be domestic violence shelters. They may be homeless shelters. They may be schools. Anywhere where there are children living in poverty, these partners work with the kids and they know exactly what they need. So they can make sure they get the clothes. They make sure that they get brand new socks, brand new underwear and shoes. And we know that when a kid gets a filled backpack, of the 10 reasons kids don't go to school, one of them is school supplies. The second of them is clothing. And the last one is the confidence that those two items give a kid to go to school and stay in school. So we know that while the, the gift at the start of the year of a backpack is just one thing. And one of the neat things that we do is that with our volunteer base, they make well-wish cards that go into the backpack. So every child has a handwritten card wishing them well in school. And one of the funny things is, is that you hear from the kids over and over again, love my backpack, but I can't believe somebody who doesn't even know me is telling me to do well in school. So we know that the backpack is important at the beginning of the year, but the fact we keep it filled and then that child is connected with us through the, the partner partner base and they'll get clothes as they grow out of them. They'll get refills for the backpacks. And so we ensure a steady supply of those things that give a kid confidence and keep a kid in school and ideally keep them learning. I think that's such an important component of what you're doing. And I'm so glad that you explained that to us because there are many wonderful programs around at the start of the school year that offer children the backpack and the, you know, all the necessities. But I think, as you just pointed out, it often gets lost that they need that continually throughout the year in order to stay motivated and, and inspired and, and to feel like they're taken care of. So I absolutely love that you continue that process throughout the year. 
Could you share with us a story that comes to mind of a family locally that's been helped by your organization and how you've seen this Cradles to Crayons mission carried out in that firsthand way? Well, this is actually not necessarily a family, although it is a family because families, um, whatever they come to be these days, frankly. But I was um, at one of our clothing collections um, in the suburbs of Philadelphia and a young woman came up to me with a very small bag of brand new socks and brand new underwear. And she handed it over to me. And I just was curious. I said, how did you hear of us? And, and why have you brought this gift to us today? And she said, well, um, when I was 15, I got pregnant. And uh, my family was such that they were not tremendously supportive of me. And so I ended up um, needing a lot of support um, through my pregnancy. And when my baby was born, Cradles to Crayons provided me with all the things my baby needed. As a result, I could stay in school and I graduated high school. And now it's a few years later I've just started my first job at a local car dealership. My little boy has just started kindergarten, and I just paid for my first month's rent in my own apartment. Mm. Without Cradles to Crown's support for my baby, which in turn was support for me because I could go to school, because one of the things that perhaps people don't realize that without diapers, you can't leave your, leave your kid in, in daycare, yeah. and we provide diapers. Without those supports, I could not have been successful. And that's why, in this little way, I just want to give back to Cradles to Crayons. I love that. And it, how amazing that you even asked, because you wouldn't have known that story, that backstory, if you hadn't asked her. But that is that is such a beautiful example of what your organization is able to do, not just for the children, but also for you know the parents and the, the family as a whole, uh, you know, as they're trying to survive and then thrive. That's yes. that's really such a beautiful example. Thank you for sharing that with us. And so your kids come first, values and culture have enabled you to energize a diverse and inclusive community of more than 75,000 volunteers while supporting more than over 1 million children to date. Can you tell us more about how your collaborative mindset plays out with volunteers and how does this ultimately drive more impact for the cause? Cradles to Crowns is so deeply embedded in community. We, we really could not do what we do without the community. We're located in East Falls, and thanks to the neighborhoods around us, we can collect gently used clothing, which is either dropped off in about 30 drop sites that we have in the greater Philadelphia region, or is brought to our warehouse, our giving factory, as we call it, in East Falls. And that donated product from the community enables us to do our work. We couldn't afford to buy the product to solve the problem of clothing insecurity in the region. And perhaps some, of, some, some people don't realize that clothing insecurity is the phrase that we use to describe the work we do. Everybody knows about food insecurity and housing insecurity, but food insecurity, but clothing insecurity for kids Clothing insecurity for kids is another key need in, in populations living in poverty. And it's not funded by any government, state, or city funding. 
So we 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 basically serve about 230,000 children annually. If we were serving them completely by providing them winter clothing, summer clothing, a growth pack perhaps, and then a backpack for school, that would mean serving 1.2 million children annually in this region alone. Wow. And so without that donated clothing, we couldn't buy enough. So we rely on the community with the donated clothing. And then when the clothing arrives at our Giving Factory warehouse, we also rely on volunteers from all over the region, schools, churches, Girl Scout groups, corporations who provide a very large percentage of our volunteer support. And then we can also help um, provide volunteer experiences for kids with special needs. So we can accept volunteers as young as five in our warehouse doing meaningful work and then as old as 85. In fact, we have um, individuals in um, long-term care homes who are crocheting baby booties for us uh, all over the region. So we truly engage everyone in our work. And without that engagement, we couldn't do and serve what will be 230,000 children this year. That's amazing. And I must say uh, that your giving factory, and I, I love that you call it that, um, I was there recently in the past year or so. Uh, my kids and I had had collected items through a drive locally, and I came with my five-year-old son to drop them off. And I would really highly recommend to anybody who's local in the Philadelphia area to go to your giving factory. And even if you're not there to necessarily volunteer, which would be a great idea also, uh, but even if you're just dropping items off to go in and take a look around, your team was so wonderful with us. They invited us in and let us take a look around. And it was honestly a magical moment for me to have my five-year-old see what was going on. It really is a factory. I mean, it's a very big space. Um, it's beautifully designed. And you've got a lot going on in there. And uh, you also had, there was like a, a photo op station where he was able to take a picture with a big crayon. And I just thought it was such a great experience for him at his age. Such an impression was made that we were there to deliver items that we had collected that were going to support other children. Uh, it was a great opportunity for me to have that conversation with him and my older two children. Uh, but just to see firsthand, the power of of what's going on inside that factory. It really was, uh, it made an impression on me and I'm certain it made an impression on my son. So I would definitely recommend checking that out in person for yourself if you're in the Philadelphia area. And um, I know we, we touched on this a little bit. You said uh, about the insecurities of food and housing and energy. Um, you know, they are three of the four basic needs uh, that are supported by government safety net programs, but you clothing truly is not one that falls necessarily in that category. Can you tell us more about how you assist families through annual initiatives that are aimed to address those gaps in the government support? Well, I, it, it actually, it's um, not a gap. It, there no. is really no support. Uh, wow. That's the tragic thing. And I think our work is grounded in the United Nations Declaration of Human Rights. And that Declaration of Human Rights states that a human being has the right to food, to housing, 
to clothing and to health. And clothing is enshrined there. And I think that goes back about 75 years now. It's, it's, it's the anniversary of that Declaration of Human Rights. It was enshrined there 45 years ago. And it, it is not only enshrined in that sort of worldwide statement. It's also enshrined in the work that Maslow did about the things that people need to achieve their full potential. And some of you may have heard of the Maslow Pyramid, um, which is a, a pyramid of levels that you have to achieve in order to receive, achieve your full potential. At the very bottom, there is food, housing, and clothing. And so it is a fundamental human right for, for, for a person to have clothing. And we believe that so strongly for kids age zero to 12. So that is where we focus on the fact that that's a, a basic human need. And we are working hard, obviously, with the community, as I previously described. But we're also looking much more broadly now at how can we leverage the work that we're doing with government, both at the state, city and federal level to enshrine some of the things that people need as a right in order to be successful. So we have we are supporting campaigns at the federal level for eliminating diaper insecurity and providing funding for diaper insecurity. Because again, as I previously mentioned, you can't leave your child in daycare if you don't have diapers. And that means you can't go to work or you can't go to school to further yourself. Um, so we are looking at other funding um, that we're seeing coming along. Um, for example, in Massachusetts, uh, something that's actually going to help us, there is legislation to ensure that textiles don't go into landfills. Now, that's an environmental thrust, but as a side effect, it means that organizations like us can benefit from somebody not putting textiles in landfills, but actually ensuring that the clothing that we can accept, which is children's clothing, zero to 12, can come to us. It's an incentive. So it works for the planet and it works for us and it works for the kids we serve. That's wonderful. And while you were mentioning that, uh, I did have another question pop up about, is it just clothing and diapers that you take as donations? Like what are the other type, are there any other type of items that you take as donations? Yes, thank you for asking that. We, we take shoes, um, any kind of shoes. So that'll be sandals in the summer and that'll be sneakers particularly. Uh, one of the first things that kids ask for when they go into a domestic violence shelter or a homeless shelter is jeans and sneakers. So, uh, and then winter boots um, in, in the wintertime. But we can accept any seasonal product at any time of the year because we just have the capacity in our large giving factory to store it. We also take books. Literacy is very important. And in many homes where, which are experiencing poverty, there are no books. There are no books. And if a kid doesn't have that um, access to books, it just doesn't become so easy to, to pick up a book and improve your leading, reading capabilities. Um, yeah. So that's, that's another thing we serve. We also provide school supplies year-round, as I said, so we're collecting those. Brand-new socks and brand-new underwear because nobody wants to wear used socks or underwear. PJs, uh, hygiene items for kids, baby items, um, diapers, 
obviously. Um, those are the core items that surround our basic push to provide clothing. And each child receives a week's worth of clothing. So it's not just one thing. We, we spend a lot of time in the Giving Factory, and that's where our volunteers are so great, selecting packs of clothing that mix and match so that if something gets um, dirty or torn, that you can swap out items so that a kid always has an outfit that looks great for them to leave the home. That's wonderful. Can you tell us more about your service partners and how this network um, is a critical connection to the families and children who receive the goods you distribute? You had mentioned this a little bit earlier, but what type of service partners do you have and how does that relationship work? On, on the general level, um, what we the, the, the groups that we work with are human services agencies in the region. And I, that applies both in our Chicago offices and our Boston offices and, and in New York. They are place, places where the agency is working closely with a family or a child to provide them with a raft of other services. So in locally for us, it's Project Home, it might be a food bank, it might be a school where pretty much all the uh, students are receiving free or reduced lunch. It might be uh, an area where the family is receiving financial counselling or job uh, employment counselling. So it can be anywhere where there is a professional service being provided to a family or educational service being provided to children so that our work supports the the work that the partners are doing. And we hear over and over again, the fact that we provide our clothing, which is ordered by the partner online, specifically with the, for a child in mind, so that the child gets something that fits. We make custom packages if a kid has got you know, a chubby top and skinny legs or vice versa, uh, or has got big feet. Um, they get exactly what they need. So it does a number of things. One is that the kid gets what they need and we extend our reach. But also the agency would have to do this anyway. They'd have to give up space in their, in their offices for storing clothing and other items so that hopefully they had the right size when a kid came in. With this, our service and our partnership with these agencies, they can order online, get exactly what they want, when they need it, in a matter of days, or in some cases with emergency orders, we can do it in a matter of hours. And they don't have to store it. They don't have to spend time sorting and ordering it. And so they can spend more time offering professional services to kids. So it's a multiplier effect. It's not just giving out clothing. It's, it's helping other agencies do their work more efficiently and better. Um, so it's this, this big multiplier effect that I, I think is another aspect of the work that is so important. Vitally important and, and such a vital resource, I'm sure, for many of these organizations um, as you're freeing up the, the, the availability of their time, too, to focus on what they need to focus on. I think that's really such a great collaboration you have going on there. And so what type of programs or opportunities do you have available for people locally to support or give? So what would you recommend in terms of people that are local are the best ways for them to get involved uh, personally to support your mission? 
Well, Cradles to Crowns, um, this is locally here in Philadelphia, but it also would work in Chicago or Boston too. Um, and also we have our Giving Factory Direct, which is a way you can get involved virtually. So that is an app that you can uh, get from our website, which is cradlestocrowns.org. Um, and that's cradlestocrowns.org. And so you can find an app if you want to get involved virtually. But if you are local, we cannot um, express how much we need your help. We need your help with your children's clothing. Uh, we go actually up to a, an adult small too for kids. So, so even some smaller adults, we can, we can take your clothing. We have drop sites all over the Philadelphia region, and you can drop conveniently. So don't even have to come to our giving factory, although, as Christy said, it's a great place to come. You can also volunteer. You can volunteer with your corporation, with your Girl Scout group, your church group, but also as a family. It's a wonderful place where you can come as a family and show kids in a very um, fun way that there are other kids who don't have as much as you may have or they might have. Uh, it's not threatening. It's not frightening. But it also does drive the point home as a kid as young as five is sorting through books and cleaning books or cleaning shoes we often find those kids return dragging their parents with a pair of shoes or some books that they've um, decided they don't need any longer because they realize there are other kids that are going to use them. And then, of course, um, with volunteering, um, you, can, you can volunteer in large groups, which is another thing that Cradles to Crayons provide. Many organizations can accept one or two people, but with corporations, they want to engage as a team. And we can engage groups as large as 100 or 150 here in our Giving Factory warehouse. And so it's a great way, um, if you've got um, a group meeting, to bring a group together and give back and share, share time with your, your, your colleagues. Because it, it's, uh, it's hard work, but it's also, it's also fun. And, and then team find, building, right? Very, very team, building, be a team yes. building exercise. <laughs> yes. And finally, of course, we do have to buy some new items. The diapers are new, the socks and underwear are new. And we often, in fact, for the first time this year, we've had to buy a large number of coats. And all of us know how expensive a coat can be. So financial donations are also important in order to further the work. Wonderful. I'm, I'm so grateful to you for giving us all of that information because it really is a wide range of opportunities to get involved and support an organization that really, truly is doing incredible work. And so lastly, can you tell the listeners how to best support uh, the ongoing mission in a way that we can like follow along with what you're doing? So where can we find you on social media? Uh, you had mentioned the website, if you want to just mention that again, any sort of opportunities that we can follow along and see what's going on with Cradles to Crayons on a regular basis. Yes, it is a giving factory. So the factory works 24-7. There are so <laughs> many ways that you can still get engaged with us. And you can hear about us on Instagram, on Facebook, um, on Twitter, uh, LinkedIn. And to, to get started with all of those links, probably the simplest way is to go to cradlestocrowns.org slash Philadelphia for us. But cradlestocrowns.org will get to the larger organization 
with all of the options for regional engagement and national virtual engagement. Fantastic. Michael, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to share with us the very important and inspiring work that you're doing with the Cradles to Crayons organization on the whole, uh, but also specifically here in Philadelphia, all the ways that you're helping our community. Um, I really personally want to thank you for the work that you're doing, and I really, really appreciate you taking the time to be here with us today. Thank you, Christy, so much. And uh, please come back. We'd love to see you in the Giving Factory sometime soon. Oh, I'll definitely be back soon. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of Be The Good Podcast. If you liked what you heard today, please be sure to subscribe and leave a review. Also, be sure to follow us on Instagram at be the good underscore media and visit us at www.bethegoodmedia.com. And remember, we can all find our own way to be the good. Thank you.